welcome back to another episode and likely our final episode of 2020 here on Working Wife Happy Life. I knew starting this podcast back in January was going to be a tremendous journey, but little did I know how many twists and turns it was going to take. I'm so thrilled that you've decided to take this ride with me from Rockefeller Center in New York City to lockdown to figuring out remote recordings from Brooklyn and New Jersey. It has been quite a starter year. For this final episode, what better way to wrap it up than looking toward the future? So today I sat down with two incredibly bold, dedicated, and powerful administrators of the Urban Assembly Institute of Math and Science for Young Women in Brooklyn, New York. Kiri Soares is the principal and co-founder of this mission-driven school, which she co-founded after recognizing all the times that she was discouraged from following her passions of math and science as a young girl of color, and then found herself exhibiting similar unconscious bias as an educator. Jen Kusa, our second guest and fun fact, my bestie, joined her during the school's founding year as the Director of Student Support Services. Jen is the heart of this school. She does her job extremely well and also takes no excuses as she pushes these girls to realize their true potential. These women are doing heroes work and please join us for an incredible discussion focusing on the opportunity versus the gaps of the pandemic, the importance of students to be self-directed and educated, not just in subjects, but in core life skills, the evolution of girls in STEM education and the need for connectivity both in humanity and literally with hotspots. If you're interested in getting involved with the school in any way, you can donate your time or even hotspots, uh, visit them at uainstitute.org. I look forward to so much more to come in 2021 with this community. And until then, I wish you all peace and good health throughout the holiday season. And may we come to the light at the end of this dark, dark tunnel very soon in 2021. Be safe, be well, and keep on being your badass selves. When it goes, I miss the way we were young and insecure. We've grown and I've known that I'd be alone. As your sun is fading. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for joining the Working Wife Happy Life podcast. Uh, I'm so excited to be here with you two today. Uh, for our listeners, we have two amazing and selfless administrators in the New York City public school system with us today. We have Kiri Soares, who is the principal of the UA Institute, and we have Jen Kusa, who's the director of student support services of UA Institute. And they're joining us today to talk about their school and the pandemic and the opportunities and all good things that are happening to the girls of your school. So thank you so much for joining us. Thanks Thank for you. having us. Yeah. Um, so, Kiri, can you just like explain a little bit about your school, about your background, how long you've been there, um, what the school focuses on, et cetera? Um, sure. So, uh, I co founded the school in 2006 um, with a colleague of mine who was also a teacher. We had actually started teaching together. Um, and it was during the period of uh, the, the Gates Foundation's monies into the New York City Department of Education and the whole um, birth of the small schools movements. And so in, in the proposal of this, one of the things that we were thinking about really 
is actually some of the things that came out at the tail end um, of Larry Summers' comments about how women um, are inferior in their performance in math and science to men. Um, and so, and then the other thing that came out of it as uh, my own personal experience as a math teacher and my own reflections, I was realizing that there was some unconscious bias I was having to the boys in my class as a math teacher. And it wasn't something oh, I was wow. doing intentionally. It was sort of this preference to the kids who would raise their hands, the kids who would get it faster, the kids who would do um, stronger in my math classes also happened to be boys. So that oh. gave, so that history and sort of that context gave birth to our school of creating an environment that is just for girls to sort of combat this unconscious bias that exists probably not just in me, but in, in many of the teachers um, that they encountered. Nothing out of a malicious intent, but of, out of sort of these societal norms that expected boys to do better because that's the pictures that they've been presented with. So by mm -hmm. creating an entire school that was dedicated for just girls, and in fact, the original idea was just to have gender segregated uh, math and science classes. Um, but then uh, sort of one of our advisors said, well, you might, why not just do it as an entire school dedicated to um, the empowerment of young women? Because then you'll empower them, not just in math and science, but you'll able, be able to give them an environment where they can thrive in their whole community. So out of those ideas, back in 2006 and 2007, um, the Urban Assembly Institute was born. That's incredible. I had no idea that background. And just for those who are listening, Urban Assembly Institute, I was uh -huh. calling it UA Institute, which is the abbreviation, but might be easier to find. I had no idea that you were a co-founder, but I love the story of recognizing we all have bias, right? We all have bias that we're either aware of or, or it's unconscious. Um, and particularly in the STEM space and particularly for girls, you realize what a cycle that is and how it becomes kind of you know, this perpetual fulfillment of what is expected um, and then what becomes more and more intimidating to lean into as you get older in your education. And mm -hmm. so which, which grades do you service? We have grades six through 12. Um, and so we start them. I think that was one of the intents was to really grab them at a very early age um, because that as like, you know, as children are much, much younger, they have fewer hurdles that have been sort of implanted in them. And while they might be a couple of grades behind in terms of their reading levels or math levels, it's much easier to get them caught up um, in the middle school level than it is in the high school level. Uh, right. My history had been teaching high school uh, math and science. And I, I had that as a sort of, it was very difficult to move kids to advanced math and science when in ninth grade, I'm still teaching them how to add and subtract fractions. And mm -hmm. so to get them to calculus in four years from ninth grade was a very big Herculean task, still is to this day. But the idea is if we can catch them earlier in sixth grade and, and close that gap, then we can get them to where they need to be. And I've actually seen studies where middle school is such a critical time for girls in terms of obviously confidence and, and developing and all of that stuff, um, but where we see the most drop off from the math and sciences. So it is really about getting into those inflection points and making sure that you're kind of meeting them where they are before they get too far off track. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And yeah. I also think it's about particularly working with young women of color and Many of our young women and families are living in poverty. It's also about establishing um, 
and making real the pathway to their dreams, right? So I think that all young kids, despite your circumstances, have big dreams. And then somewhere in the ages between 10 and 12, those dreams start to diminish. And our job and what we try really hard to do and keep alive is to keep those dreams um, very much in the forefront and, and keep a pathway open to them that they can feel like they can succeed in. That's incredible. I, I did not realize, I mean, how much of this is driven by your own passion and your own experience as an educator. Um, but, you know, to have a school that is specifically for young girls, specifically addressing the gap in, in math and sciences um, at that critical time of their education, specifically for girls of color, and in some cases, children who are living in poverty, how did you put that all together to what was that something that you were naturally heading toward or is that how it kind of evolved as you moved down on the project you mentioned before about having the idea of gender segregated classrooms but that that's quite a huge big picture that you have yeah i mean i i think a lot of it comes from my own personal experience like when i was going in when i was growing up also as a young women of color, not necessarily of beans. <laughs> I was given the opportunity, like there was an opportunity for me to be participating in math and science, advanced math and science in middle school. And I was told no. And mm. I was be I was told no specifically because I was a girl and I was just, I just didn't compute to me at the time. And I just remember being very angry about that at the time. <laughs> and so maybe that's been part of the fuel of trying to like overcome that, uh, that, that note of no. Um, and to be honest, I actually went to school to become, I really wanted to become a neurosurgeon. I was so like, <laughs> I oh, wanted wow. to do that. Uh, and then I didn't make it. I didn't make the cut. I just, I got washed out. Right. So like, you know, I got washed out in OCHEM and was it because I wasn't smart enough? I think that was the narrative that I was being told. Sure. But now what I realized is like, was it because I wasn't supported enough? Like, is there something about my own trajectory into the field of sciences that should have been different? Mm -hmm. um, and I think that I don't know if I was able to give that a name when we started thinking about this school, but I do now know that it was certainly part of the fuel that lasted. Yeah. Like, so now we're in our 15th year of um, opening this school um, and I don't have any less fire or passion for it. So there's something that seeks, you know, continues to do it. And, and I think that little by little you see these sort of, incremental but monumental changes happening in the fabric of our nation like you know for example we were you know we were in our third year when obama was elected president for the first time which was a monumental change yeah. suffering monumental flat backlash but then we came back with a now a completely female communications cabinet that's about to come in in january so it's wonderful to see that like you know from where i came growing up in the 80s and going to college in the 90s was a, is a different place than where my girls are now going to go. Have it is it enough? Absolutely not. But it is they are walking into something better, which is all I could really want. And like you said, having that support system around you as you want to achieve these things can sometimes be the the deciding factor of whether or not it, it can come into fruition. Um, Jen, we have Jen on mute mostly. She's yeah. here um, and just total combat. <laughs> Jen is my best friend. So if we divulge into or diverge into uh, any bizarre conversations, but um, Jen, you've been with the school for so long and you, I would love for you to share what you focus on, because I think obviously the social emotional aspect of these developmental uh, stages is so critical. Yeah. Hi everyone. I know I'm having tech issues, so sorry about that. But um, 
I just, first, I just want to kind of mention that, you know, Carrie really is the mastermind and like the, the powerhouse behind uh, Urban Assembly Institute of Math and Science. I actually came on the first year that she started this school. So I've been with the school also for 15 years. Um, and really everything I do is in support of her mission and, you know, her smarts around the, the data and the academics. And so where I kind of come in is around the social emotional learning. Um, so what I do, I'm a social worker by training. And so um, a lot of the work that I do with my team, with the deans, the social workers, the counselors, and now also the teachers, and it's been in kind of a, a process to get everybody on the same page, but it really is about what are the soft skills, the life skills that kids need in order to be successful. Mm -hmm. So while they might have access to chemistry and biology and physics and calculus and AP classes, um, what we really realize, and this is not just for our kids, but for every child, if they don't have the skills to manage um, everything that they need to do in their life, whether it's, um, you know, overcome disputes with their peers or know how to navigate social media now or um, advocate for themselves when they need help or even just simple things like time management, um, then the smartest kids, I don't care how smart they are, they're not going to be successful. And so I think where UAI mm -hmm. has really become um, a powerhouse is this idea of access and like Kiri talked about earlier, um, you know, keeping the dreams alive and giving kids opportunities that they might not normally have. But on top of that, giving them the skills that they can utilize to be successful. And so that's sort of been my kind of whole wheelhouse at UAI. And whether it's working with kids or parents um, or staff or whomever, um, that's kind of where I come in with what I know how to do. And I think that's why UAI is successful because we have um, everything. It's not just smarts. It's not yeah. just the life skills. It's it's the whole package. And that's what our girls need to be successful. Yeah. And that I think that's such a critical part of education that is sometimes so often yeah. overlooked, right? Like we used to have like, I mean, growing up, I had home economics, right? They're like, just come in, we'll teach you how to run a household. Right. And then you had one semester of budgeting, you know, and it's just like, it's, I mean, it was something, but it's by no means what you actually really need to be successful, you know, more holistically. And Jen, I'm curious just now, obviously we are in this age of COVID um, where so many people have been thrown into, you know, such challenging circumstances, obviously as educators and administrators, you guys are bearing the brunt of trying to keep everybody on track. Um, I'd imagine you have girls with vastly different setups at home in terms of access, in terms of support, in terms of comfort. Um, on top of this, we have these massive uh, outcries of racial injustice in our country and around the globe. Um, we just had another historic election. Like there's so many ups and downs and opportunities and crises that are coming at us simultaneously. I mean, pairing that with puberty, like how are these girls managing through all of these different inputs? What do you see in your world as a social and that's worker? That's a great question and a hard one to answer because it is such a complex, there's so, there's so many deep layers and levels of the world's happening right now. And I also want to add, it's not just the kids managing. We, we also now have a whole staff of teachers and families um, that are experiencing the world in a way that we never even imagined. And the, the amount of pressure and expectation on everybody um, is tenfold. So the good news is, and the thing that I really have experienced is that the grit and determination and the perseverance and the drive and the will um, by everybody on our team, and I would imagine everybody in New York City or wherever you are, um, it's there. And so it has been re really reaffirming and um, 
hope I'm hopeful, right? Because I do see that despite everything, people want good and people want the best. And so they're working and they're pushing, even though it's exhausting and terrifying. So there's that component. And then on the flip side, it really is about supporting everybody, um, kids, family, staff, um, to figure out how do we navigate this world. And so each kind of subset of a school, like a community, requires different things. Um, And so we're really trying to give each person in our building what they need to be successful. So, for example, like our, you know, our kids, and we do have a lot of children, you know, our kids, a lot of them do live in poverty. Um, And if you look at statistics in New York City or wherever else, black and brown communities have been struck twice as hard by COVID than, you know, white communities or affluent communities across our country. So our kids really are dealing with loss, Um, you know, parents, siblings, aunts, cousins, uncles. Many of our our kids have lost family members. Um, And so there's that component. And then you want to talk about the tech divide. And Kiri can probably talk a lot more about that than I can. But um, seeing the disparity in New York um, across economic lines, you know, there's I've seen images on like Instagram of the poor kid at the Taco Bell because he doesn't have Wi-Fi and he's using the, the Taco Bell Wi-Fi and the outpour of, of, you know, disgrace around that has been like, oh, my God. But I'm like, for every one of those Taco Bell kids on Instagram, that's like 75 percent of our student body. Many of our kids don't have Wi-Fi. Mm. Many of our kids didn't even have, you know, an um, iPad when we started this um, whole COVID virtual learning. Um, And that is a reality, not just for our kids. That is a reality for any kid living in poverty. Um, And so there's been been that whole kind of a push of like just getting our kids access to the Internet and to working devices so that they even have a chance to stay connected to school. Um, So I'm kind of going off on a tangent because... Honestly, in a lot of ways, it feels like we're on a tangent every day. It's like, what's the new problem that we have to face? Um, but I think yeah. that, in you know, the good sense is that we are very on top of it and we're aware. And I think that we've made a lot of progress. As, you know, I, Kira, I don't know if you know the numbers, but starting out, you know, the percentage of our kids that didn't have tech or had no Wi-Fi in March to today is, I don't know, you know, Kira, if you want to jump in for that, because I think that really highlights, um, you know, one of the major lifts that we've done at our school, um, you know, kids get access. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would say that when we got the surprise, you have three days to get your active gear to be online indefinitely. Probably only about 15% of our students had access to reliable Wi-Fi and an actual learning device that wasn't their phone. Now, then we had probably like a significant number of our students did have smartphones, but limited access to data. And so for the first couple of weeks, we were just relying on smartphones just to connect. And then what we found as we entered into the end of their data plans, that kids were dropping off significantly. And at this point, the DOE still had not gotten its act together to buy the iPads. Um, and so we probably went about four weeks before four to six weeks. I think we, we were trying to teach kids with no data, <laughs> getting on um, getting these plans from, uh, you know, uh, uh, the cable providers would say, we're not going to charge you today as if that's okay. We're going to charge you tomorrow for the money that you don't have today. Were you negotiating on behalf of these families as the school, like with well, these ISPs? Well, so that was the initial thing that we were trying to do. In the end, what we ended up doing is I, I got together with several other urban assembly schools and we got to go fund me to get Wi-Fi enabled devices for our most needy kids and then kicked in uh, the DOE iPads. I have to say, like, it took them a while to do it, but it was probably the one biggest thing that they did right. 
was, yeah. I mean, I, I would not have chosen iPads. Okay. The whole idea of the iPad was a mistake, but the idea of getting Wi-Fi enabled devices in the hands of children, that was the thing that needed to have happened. Yeah. Um, it could have been a hot spot because then you can get multiple people with multiple devices, but you know, they know iPads, whatever. So then once they did that, then we took real advantage of that. And then over the summer still by the end of June, we still didn't have all of our kids with access. So we worked in the summer to continue requesting devices from the DOE to make sure that all of our existing kids, not our incoming kids, but just the kids that we had, had devices. And then we worked on getting, preparing for our incoming kids, making sure that they would have at least something that was Wi-Fi enabled from our own fundraising, which we did. Or we also, when once they got onto our register, we began requesting devices for them. So today, in December, we're still de- dealing with um, technical connections. Much of that does have to do with the functionality of the iPads. Like they also rolled out a crazy update, didn't tell anyone how to do it, and then posted something on their website that said, do this. <laughs> and so then it uncovered another challenge that exists not only in our students, but it also exists in our staff. It's just sort of this digital, the level of digital literacy Right. That neither teachers nor parents nor families had. And right. so it's like, it's not even just about the equipment. It's about you. Now you're asking teachers to teach in a new way online that they've never done before right. to students to learn in a new way that they've never done before in homes where families are supposed to structure a learning environment and they've never been trained to be teachers. And so, right. and so it is an interesting amount of hurdles that we've had to overcome. And I am proud, super proud of the amazing flexibility and, and, and impressive pretzelness of our staff to bend over backwards to help and partner with our families to make sure that as many girls as we can reach are doing a great job. But continually, this is the daily. Do we know that she can connect? Do we know what's happening at home? How are they doing? It's like the number one question because we know our communities have been severely impacted. It's like, wow, how are you doing? And even though I know that's hard, the other hard push is I still need to hold you to these standards, even Mm -hmm. when you're suffering, because otherwise the gap's just going to get too insurmountable for you. Mm -hmm. So it's a hard, it's a hard line for my staff to walk with our families, but they've done a really excellent job trying to find that in a way. We've gotten a lot of feedback from families saying, thank you. Um, my staff is very tired, but we thank them too. So, I, that, I mean, not but, to interrupt, um, but I think that that, you know, to knock off again on another tangent, but I think that's one of the positive, and if you can look at a silver lining of all of the COVID and, and online learning and all this is, um, in a lot of ways, this whole um, issue, that this this problem in our country right now has um, made our school in some ways a much tighter community and our connection to parents mm-hmm. is oddly more connected than we ever were before. Um, and so that, that to me has been a really interesting um, like concept and something that I really want to hold on to once we go back to whatever normal really means. But this idea of, you know, meeting parents and kids where they are and really connecting with them on a deep personal level where we always encourage that before and there were folks that always did it. But at the end of the day, teachers are there, you know, they want to teach content and there's all the pressures of all that that's happening. And it's easy to lose sight of kids and families as kids and families, right? And so um, for us, it really has, has been about connecting with people on a deeper personal level and making sure, number one, that people are okay and that we're there for them and we're in this together. And um, like Kiri said, it has been a really um, positive response. And 
I know for me, I, I feel more connected to all of my kids and all of my families than ever before. And parents have gotten way comfortable with, um, hey, we can have a meeting on Zoom now. Like, you know, where before our PTA meetings had uh, five people in them, because let's face it, who wants to work a 12 hour shift, go home, feed your kids and go back to school to for an hour meeting. And right. nobody wants to do it. Even the most devoted, awesome parents, myself included, I'm a parent and never once went to my kids' PTA meetings because let's face it, I don't have the energy at the end of the day. But now with um, being able to, you know, to do things on a virtual platform, we have 40 parents at our PTA meetings and they're excited and they feel recharged and connected. And um, that's been, I think, really something that I want to, you know, that when we go back, like I said, this is something that we're going to continue to use and technology at its best, actually, we, we become closer. So it's an interesting thing. Yeah. I think it's such a, it's so interesting. I mean, I work in the technology field and I feel very blessed that when, I mean, on multiple levels, but when we had this transition to work from home, frankly, the majority of us already worked from home a day or two a week anyway. So it was actually a really smooth transition. Most of us had a setup. Um, and you realize it, a lot of us, our, our work in partnerships was really helping our partners to get up to speed and get set up with a, a quiet space where they could work and figure out the connections but now that we've been doing this, those of us that are fortunate enough to to work remotely um, and the kids, like, I think we're starting to see some of those things come up where, you know what, this is actually a much better way to do things and it can be more inclusive and it can be more accessible. Um, and, and I think that the PTA example is a perfect example of that. I am the same way. If I, you know, am asked to go to 12 different school plays or school engagement things, I'm probably not going to do them. But if there are Zoom that I can watch from my living room and participate or, you know, be feel part of the community, and also not to mention the bonds that are created during a crisis, right? It really brings people together. And there's this normalizing factor where, you know, I imagine in, in any school in New York City, you have so many different cultural backgrounds where many times they just don't mix and they don't, you know, they're, they're very much into their their own uh, backgrounds and groupings and communities where all of a sudden you have this significant uh, challenge that everyone's facing and everyone starts to unify behind it. So it's kind of a I know I'm excited for the things that we bring out of this pandemic into what becomes the new normal. Um, I think everyone's excited for the pandemic to be over <laughs> at some point soon, but um, it is really inspiring to hear how much you guys are focusing on on these positives. Um, I guess one question for you know people who are are parents or for the parents that you're seeing in your school, there's so much about, you know, if you can set your child up in a quiet space to do their work, if you can set them up on a schedule, if you can make sure they're not in their pajamas, and I'm pretty sure both my kids my are still in their pajamas at 11, <laughs> 11 a.m. Um, what are some of the things that parents that you see most significantly pre-pandemic and during pandemic that really have the most impact on both like the educational and the social emotional support for the kids? Like what are the top things you wish parents uh, would just kind of know and, and be sure that they're focused on versus. I mean, I think others? for me from like a social emotional component, I think it's first okay to say, I think there's a, a very, you know, there's a lot of fear for parents when it comes to school, especially with our community. Um, 
you know, um, if you're dealing with our kids with black and brown students whose parents um, might not have had a, the best experience in New York City public schools, you know, that maybe the this, this schools failed them or it's not necessarily a place of trust and support. And and that's for, you know, that goes across racial lines and gender lines. But I'm talking about just because of what I know for my own girls. Um, so I think it's OK for a parent, you know, to say, you know what, I don't really know the answer or I'm not sure. I think parents are scared, myself included, as a parent to say, like, I don't know how to do that or maybe I should ask for help. And I think number one is just to say it's OK Whatever you do or don't know, it's okay. Don't be, feel pressured to have to have the answer to feel like you have to impress somebody or X, Y, and Z. I think that that's a, a really large um, barrier that we have to kind of get over because the first thing is just to say, I need help, right? And we also talk to our kids about this self-advocacy um, in a world that's filled with challenges is an exceedingly important skill to have, right? Because no one's going to probably do it for you, and they're certainly not going to offer. So to say to somebody, I need help is a great first step to get what you want and what you need. And so I think that's something that we really tried to, like, break down those barriers with our families. Like, we might not even have the answers, too. And let's face it, during this whole pandemic, the city schools, leadership, teachers, there's so many things that we don't know also. So we're constantly saying, I don't know, but let's try to figure this out together. So I think that's a great way to, like, partner mm -hmm. with people. Um, I, so I think that's number one is just to surrender to it and say, I need help um, for parents and for kids. Um, so I think that's been a big like eye opener for me. Um, and I think just getting involved, I think just asking, you know, parents just to sit with their kid for a couple of minutes or to try to figure out, um, you know, what, what is a Google classroom or what is this Zoom thing? And, you know, spending that time with your child to try to connect on these small baby step things that you can actually accomplish together um, is something that's super helpful and a great place to start. I mean, there's tons of stuff, but. So, so me stomping my feet last night when my daughter asked if she could read to me and I didn't want her to because I wanted to read my own book. That's something you would put in the bucket. Well, don't no judgment, do. but yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I know she's probably more interested in. And listen, like, we all do it, right? We're like, I'm exhausted. I want to be left alone. I just worked 12 hours. Um, but we that's the thing for parents that we have to push through a little bit. And even if it's just 10 minutes, but I, you know, I know, I know it's hard, but I really think that those are the first steps that we can take is just spending those couple of minutes together to try to connect where the kid is to try to help them through, you know, and it's hard for kids, you know, Sonny, your daughter, my daughter, my kids, like they are scared. They're isolated. They're feeling like not sure about things. And um, I think reassuring them that it's going to be okay and that we're there for them is super important. Um, because it, it is yeah. it's a bizarro time, right? And but Carrie, anything you want to add to that? Yeah, you know, as 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 Jen was talking, I and you know, I've been thinking a lot about this since the pandemic began. It's like I think as a as a city educator, and you know, I've been doing I've been working in the city since 1997. So thanks this is a long time that I've been doing this. Um, I think I got ingrained with this idea of what I thought what learning was. Um, and I think that we all do that. I mean, you, you chase down something long enough, you believe that this is how it is supposed to be. It's like breathing the air until you start going to a different country. And it's like, oh, the air smells different here. Things smell different, you know? And what I realized is 
that so for a really super long time, what we were chasing are these sort of academic ideals of content and skills. Mm. And we're forgetting right now. And so when we hear, you hear a lot about the, the gap that is widening or how far kids are going to fall behind or what they're, what they're not learning. The, the one thing I want people to also remember is that there is an incredible amount of opportunity that's happening right now for every single kid that's learning at home. And that's exposure to their parents who are working at home, responsibilities that they've been given that they wouldn't have been given before, this um, incredible opportunity to be self-directed and like actually have to manage themselves. They are developing a level of persistence never before asked of kids their age. Mm-hmm. And we don't value that. Like I'm going to be super curious to see how well this cohort of kids sticks it through college. Because yeah. that's what we talk about all the time. We talk about mm-hmm. grit and surviving. And it's like, these guys survived a freaking pandemic. They're going to make four-year colleges look like nothing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that when we don't step back and we don't step back and we appreciate, we don't appreciate the things that we have, then we, we tend to sort of like get obsessed with the things that we don't. And that's mm. not good for the parents' mental health and it's not good for the kids' mental health. And it's really awesome to just celebrate that with the kids. Like, you know, my own son, I don't know, we were sitting around at dinner and we were talking about something and he asked me, did you say that to Fred? <laughs> and I'm like, what do you mean? Did I say what to Fred? Because I was talking about something, complaining about my work. And Fred is my superintendent. So he had picked up that I talk, I know who Fred is, like through his just sort of osmosis, he had picked yeah. up the sort of social dynamics of an underling with her boss and how she shouldn't be necessarily talking all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and it was really fat. Like when he did that to me, I, I stepped back and I said, wow, that's, that's, that is, I hadn't even considered before that point, what else he's learning. And so that is an interesting question, I think, for all parents to ask their kids. It's like learning isn't just what your teachers are presenting to you. We are whole package human beings. And this is a whole new experience that all of us are learning so much from. So let's just try to center that for a little bit. Sometimes. It's so it's so interesting how that goes back to the beginning of our conversation where Jen was saying you really need to focus on these softer skills to help them be totally successful and like you're saying his exposure to your relationship dynamic with Fred now mm-hmm. gives him an idea of how do you deal with challenging or you know just the chain of command at work yeah. moving forward and it's those are you know, it's it's funny when we started doing this uh, work from home thing. My kids were f- home from school, which they're home again now. My son, who's the same age as your son, uh, mm-hmm. other fun fact: Carrie and I used to live right next to each other mm-hmm. without knowing that we had Jed in common. Uh, <laughs> But, the, you know, our boys are the same age, and he's like, "You just go in that room for like eight hours a day." I'm like, "Yes." That's called a job. And like, by the way, eight hours a day is fantastic. Like, you realize how lucky we are. You know, they get that exposure because otherwise they're going to school and out of sight, out of mind. They don't know that you have anything else going on. So I do think there's an appreciation for, you know, the hard work, the communication skills, the organization skills, the priority, the time management, all of that stuff that they're seeing firsthand now and seeing it in probably the most harried of times. One, one yeah. question I also have, um, because we, you know, obviously we have a ton of frontline workers here in, in New York city. I'm guessing a lot of the parents of, of your, you know, any kid in any school right now is yeah. a frontline worker. 
Um, how have you seen that be either a challenge or an opportunity? Because many times I would imagine these kids are on their own. Um, yeah, really, you're yeah. both nodding. So I think that's something that we've, that's been the, probably one of our biggest challenges is having students that are home alone um, because their parents have to go to work, right? Whether it's because they're frontline worker or because like many of our parents, their lives depend on that, that paycheck that has to come in every week. They don't have a, a nest egg or they don't have a job that's, you know, letting them work from home and right. They it's like they are yeah. working in the service industry or feels that they have to go into work. And so um, that has been, I probably, I would probably say one of our greatest challenges is trying to figure out how to support students at our home alone um, and figure out how to support parents and supporting their kids when they're not there. And going back to kind of like what Kiri said, this whole idea of, you know, the grit and determination, the, the time management, the self, um, self, you know, accuracy, accu- I can't say that word, accuracy, that word, actually, hard to say, that word, like helping kids do those things on their own. And it's, it's a lot of work on RM where we're literally calling them every day checking in on them, texting them. They have an advisory. There is so much school support that's going into the, um, you know, helping these kids um, make sure that they're, you know, successful um, because it's, it's a lot of our students are home alone. They are. Yeah. It's also, I mean, it's also, um, I mean, like the truth is it's like, we're not, we're definitely not necessarily succeeding for the frontline workers who have to be out in the field all day, driving buses or working in a grocery store or being nurses, and some of them are doctors, right? We're not succeeding with those kids who also lack sort of that self-determination. It's mm-hmm. like if, they're, if their parents are, are texting, I mean, they have self-determination in that, yes, they're a teenager. No, I'm not going to listen. There's nobody there to overturn that. And then, yes, they can have a conversation and that conversation might stick for two or three days. But if she's very determined to not listen or going through some very significant rebellion, which is actually completely developmentally appropriate. Right. right? And that rebellion happens to be I'm stuck inside. I feel better. I don't want to do this. I'm not going to listen to you. Then our parents have very limited options. And even though we're, we're calling and we're working, we yeah. haven't been 100% successful. We have had some success, that's for sure. There's also um, the, kid, there's also the kids that are, you know, academically, you know, that struggle. And so in a world where there aren't people home to kind of hold their hands and then now they're asked to go online and enter this whole new world. I mean, there's, you know, there it's easy to avoid. It's easy to run away from because let's face it, when things are hard for anybody, let alone when you're 11 or 12 or 13 years old, you know, you don't, it's scary to walk into something that you, you don't know if you can do it. And so that, I think that's something that we've kind of had to really, and we're still figuring out how do we confront this issue of kids that are, it's hard. And if you're already feeling unsure academically about what, whether you can do something or not, you know, do you really want to turn on that zoom and try to figure it out? You know, when no one's telling you, you have to, cause you're home alone. And so there's, there's so many layers of what engagement is, why kids engage or don't engage mm-hmm. and how, you know, you intervene and support them. And I think while Kiri, you know, it's true. We have, there's so many kids that we're still really trying to figure out. I think the one thing that we um, really try to focus on at UAI and that we do well is trying to know the kid individually. So knowing what the kids yeah. weaknesses and strengths are, help us figure out then what that intervention may look like. Is it academic? Is it rebellion? Mm-hmm. Is it they're depressed and, you know, have anxiety, whatever it is, knowing, Knowing the kid then helps us determine what, um, you know, what in what ways we can support them. And it is it, time. It takes a yeah. lot of time. It takes a lot of manpower. 
Um, and we're not always successful, but I think that has been um, something that we, you know, we try to do every day. I do think that one of the things I'm hearing, you know, I think that it's not just our kids who are struggling through this, but it's especially for our parents who may be single parents, this is particularly difficult. Um, and yes. so now you put on that, that you are like a, a frontline worker and you don't have the choice or you don't have the support at home, then it makes, it makes you feel particularly guilty. Um, yeah. and so what we're trying to do is not make parents feel guilty, but we're trying to find pathways through sort of say, you are supported. We are here for you, but unfortunately we don't have any other partners at home. So you're it. Sorry that we have to pull on you, but we're pulling on you. Um, yeah. and anything that we can do to help you, we will, but we like our, our bottom line, while we may not have found the answer yet, we're not giving up on it is to make sure that that child can find success. Yeah. It's kind of like the ultimate latchkey situation. Right. And it's, yeah. you know, I, I hear my kids school going, you know, can you, can you grab your parent and record this video and upload it by noon? And it's just like, and, and we're in a fortunate position. I'm here. She has an older brother that can help her. My husband's here. And like, sometimes even for all of us, it's hard to do those things. So it's like, mm -hmm. how are you kind of finding that balance? You guys brought up a good point. Like, what, where are the areas that you wish you had more support? I know you've done partnerships with third-party companies, like you did something with Facebook last year. Um, where are some areas that you guys wish you had more support for your girls and for your school? Well, I certainly think moving forward, the, the one thing that I definitely do not want to give up on is the Wi-Fi, right? Mm -hmm. I think that, like, I mean dream that some Politico someplace would recognize that Wi-Fi is a right and make it free for everybody. Reality, love some hot spots for my kids until the dream game comes true. Um, yeah. Uh, but I think, I mean, because I think like one of the things that we're really trying to do is like, well, how much of that, you know, when you, when kids don't have access to, um, to data, like, like so many do, they're also, they also don't have access to information, which then makes their ability to understand and know the world a lot more limited, mm -hmm. limited in terms of what the only things that their teachers can give. So the other thing that I would love to be able to do is explain, expand their experiences, right? My brain went like, you know, once we're back into the real world, it's about those real world connections, right? So when we go into the building, when we mm -hmm. go to school, you know, we can talk about, hey, what is it like to be a CEO, a female CEO, or was it like, you know, to be the first black neurosurgeon at NYU or whatever it is, like, you know, but without those experiences where you're walking into a building, you're seeing it, you're feeling it, you, and also the mentorship component, it's not just walking into a building or, or an office and, and, you know, and kind of experiencing what a day in the life is like, it's having those connections and that follow up with people that are going to kind of help you because kind of, I think the theme that we've talked about mm -hmm. throughout all this conversation is this idea of the importance of relationships and um, people holding your hand all along the way from day one until you cross that finish line, particularly for our girls. Um, sorry that my little thing went off, um, particularly for our girls. And so um, I think, you know, having access to, you know, companies, whether it's in the tech field or wherever it may be, um, and also, you know, people that people that want to help. Um, women that want to get involved, you know, that say, Hey, I want to be a mentor or, um, you know, I would love to be able to come in and talk to your girls about X, Y, and Z. I think that that's where our girls benefit the most personally. Yeah. Yeah. It's part of that community connection. Mm -hmm. Like our partnership with Facebook was, um, 
super useful in terms of being able to provide all of our ninth graders. So the partnership was basically a partnership where we, we wrote a course together, which was um, the design process. So they got to design something that served a purpose that they identified. So they identified the problem, they designed whatever the solution was, and then they got to present this on the New York City Facebook campus. Right. And I think that, mm. you know, their interactions with Facebook is basically what's on their computer or what they see on TV or what they watch in the movies. But be- seeing themselves inside the facilities was a different mm-hmm. experience altogether. Like being able to see like real life people who actually do this job gave a tangibility to something that they were doing. Right. That, that meant that they can suddenly not just dream of themselves in that situation, but actually feel what it's like to be inside. Um, a big tech giant company like Facebook, right? And I think that is what I mean when I talk about like we want to keep their dreams alive and create a pathway that is tangible. It is about not just giving them the academic skills that they need, but the real life experiences that put them in a very visible sense of like, oh, I can see myself doing that right now mm-hmm. because it's yeah. like I because I did that. So whether it's talking to a person or getting like you know being able to visit job sites or um, you know having hotspots, plugging for hotspots, <laughs> whatever that is, it's like, we want to be able to provide it for them so that they can make it there. Yeah. And that I, I, you know, we hear all the time, you can't be what you can't see. And, yeah. you know, while some will have the tenacity and the perseverance and the creativity to be something they don't see the vast majority, you know, and we talked about how some of the communities and in, in, in New York city, um, and around the globe, honestly, we just become insular. And, and I, I think that there's a beauty in that, but there's also the challenge that you, you wonder what more you could be doing. Um, ladies, this was such an inspirational conversation. I love the work that you guys are doing. I think you're making such a difference in your perseverance and flexibility and creativity and just powerhouse work ethic through this situation is so admirable. Um, and I'm, I'm in complete awe and these girls are so lucky to have you as are their families. Um, if there's any of our listeners that want to get involved with the UA Institute, uh, or potentially want to volunteer or have ideas for how they can help, how can they get in touch with you? Sure. So, um, Bethany, that's awesome. And please, if you are interested in um, supporting us or just finding out more, um, we would love that. You can email me. My name is Jen Kusa, and my email is Jen, J E N C, like cat. So, Jen C at U A Institute, I N S T I T U T E. .org. Um, you can also find us, um, if you go to our website, it's www.uainstitute.org. Um, and you can find a lot of information about us there. And there's contacts um, on that uh, our website as well. Um, so yeah, thank you. Excellent. And I'll, I'll include all that in the show notes and, and tag you guys, but this was such a great conversation. Thank you again for the work that you do. Uh, New York city school administrators, any school administrators and educators right now, uh, while you're managing the life of, of these girls at scale and your own homes, uh, it really is an inspiration. So thank you both so much. Yeah, Thanks for having us. Bye. Don't forget to jump over to Apple podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts and hit the subscribe button. And please leave a review to give us direct feedback and also to get the podcast in front of more eyes. It's very much appreciated. Mm